Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Hey, what's going on, everybody? You got Tommy and Randy here. Our uh, last video we did on the death decree in the United States, it's seemed to have lighted a little bit of a fire under some people. We uh, had some claims that, well, our trinity is different. So we're going to basically gear this video towards the Seventh-day Adventists, and not the people, but the organization. We hit the papacy pretty hard, and we hit the organization, and we talk about the beasts and all that, but we also want to go through, is the Seventh-day Adventist safe in the end? Do you all have all the truths? So here, I want to read this quote by Sister White. This is from True Revival 10.2. We have far more to fear from within than from without. The hindrances to strength and success are far greater from the church itself than from the world. Unbelievers have a right to expect that those who profess to be keeping the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus will do more than any other class to promote and honor by their consistent lives, by their godly example and their active influence, the cause which they represent. But how often have the professed advocates of the truth proved the greatest obstacle to its advancement? The unbelief indulged, the doubts expressed, the darkness cherished, encouraged the presence of evil angels, and opened the way for the accomplishment of Satan's devices. And another passage I want to read from her is, Representatives have been made to me, showing that the Lord will carry out his plans through a variety of ways and instruments. It is not alone the most talented, not alone those who hold high positions of trust or are the most highly educated from a worldly point of view, whom the Lord uses to do his grand and holy work of soul saving. He will use simple means. He will use many who have had few advantages to help in carrying forward his work. He will, by the use of simple means, bring those who possess property to a belief of the truth and these will be influenced to become the Lord's helping hand in the advancement of his later work. And this is letter 62, 1909. So that to me sounds like it's not going to be your megachurch preachers or your very popular evangelists traveling all over the world and building $28 million churches that's going to be delivering God's message in the end. So what we want to go through today is, are you guys safe in the end? Or are you guys rich and increased with goods and in need of nothing? So one thing I want to point out is if we look at the Jews back in Jesus' time, they had the most truth about God, and they had the most knowledge about the Word of God, and they killed the Son of God. Today, you, the Seventh-day Adventist church, even though I did not grow up Seventh-day Adventist, and I'm actually new to studying a lot of the pioneers' work, I've noticed that the Seventh-day Adventist organization has the most truth when it comes to the Word of God and a lot of truths about the Bible and prophecy and everything. But when I, what I've noticed is I've noticed a very proud people. And when, when pride gets in the way, you don't have that humble, childlike spirit that can learn because you think you, you have it all. So we're going to go through some quotes maybe y'all missed over and see if y'all are safe in the end times. Randy, go ahead and start us off. 
Yeah, we're going to be using the book, Don't Catch the Spirit from Another. And I was a former uh, Seventh-day Adventist within the organization, so I know the workings of the organization inside and out. I know the church manual, the baptismal formula, and amazing facts. It really doesn't matter on that. But anyway, we're going to go through what we call an Adventist correction class. I don't know if you've ever heard of one of those. That's a pretty amazing fact, isn't it, Tommy? Yeah. We're going to go. So this correction class will begin right now. Your Adventist IQ is about to take an uptick and increase. We're going to cover some changes in the church's beliefs and discuss the Trinity Doctrine, or broadhead, as to how it affected our church, our the Seventh-day Adventist organization. In order to understand the enemy, we must know the enemy. Falsely told today is that the Holy Spirit is a third being. Well, if you are to quote anything from the spirit of prophecy and truly say that you believe in Sister White's writings, you better buckle up. Sister White gives us full disclosure and identity of the Holy Spirit, and we will show that later in this booklet, but first, Sister White said that Lucifer, before his rebellion and being thrown out from heaven, was ranked third in heaven. Why? Because he was third. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. It already belongs to him. It is not a separate entity from him or person. We're going to take an in-depth look at certain quotes from Sister White that you will never hear from the pulpit today, and it's for a good reason. Because if you knew this information, you wouldn't be able to be led to the pasture of goats instead of the sheep. It doesn't fit the agenda, doesn't make any money for them. The only agenda should be about your salvation, Tommy. Lucifer was third heavenly rank status before his fall from heaven. One, God is a moral governor as well as a father. He is the lawgiver. And this is MS5, The Days of Noah, paragraph 13. Two, the Son of God was next in authority to the great lawgiver. Spirit of Prophecy, volume 2, page 9. Three, Satan in heaven before his rebellion was a high and exalted angel next in honor to God's dear son. Spirit of Prophecy, volume 1, page 17.1. If Sister White believed in the Trinity, wouldn't she have listed God the Holy Spirit as third in rank? Amen. She would have used the title for Jesus as God the Son, but she didn't. There is a reason for this. She was non-Trinitarian just like all the others in the church. She was raised Methodist but thrown out of the church for her family's stand with the Millerite movement in 1840s. So she knew the difference in doctrines being taught in the churches, and being non-Trinitarian made the Seventh-day Adventists very distinct besides their Sabbath belief, sanctuary message, and the state of the dead belief. So please note that Christ was next in authority behind his father. The third highest being was none other than Satan himself. There is no Holy Spirit being next to Christ. We will explain this further, so please follow along. Amen. In Isaiah 14, 12, it says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weakest the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will set upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. Verse 14 I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Lucifer's whole premise was to be like God, to be worshipped. But he was only an angel. 
However, he was the most beautiful angel in heaven, and it went to his head. He had a eye problem. I will be like the Most High. He had too much pride. Think about this. If only he could be co-equal, just like in the Trinity doctrine, he would devise a third separate being called God the Holy Spirit so he could get praise and worship. In Ezekiel 28, verse 13, Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardis, the topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, and the emerald, and the carbuncle and gold. The workmanship of thy tabernacles and thy pipes was prepared in thee in that day that thou was created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou was upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the mist and the stones of fire. Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created, till iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of the merchandise they have filled the mist of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy the old covering cherub from the midst of the stones of the fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic. Therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee. It shall devour thee, and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. All they that know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee. They shall be in terror, and never shall thou be any more. In the above text in Ezekiel, we have a parallel that is labeled a laminate over the king of Tyre, but it surely describes Lucifer as the most beautiful in heaven. He was in the presence of God. He was a covering cherub. The most astonishing of all the angels, he was in the Garden of Eden. Tommy? He was on the holy mountain of God, but pride in his heart got in the way and corrupted his decision-making. Ezekiel says his wisdom was corrupted. He was cast down to the earth and is promised to be destroyed in the future. Now let's see what the Spirit of Prophecy says. Here we have Sister White laying out in detail Lucifer's attempt and desire in gaining worship. He was flat out jealous of the Father and His Son. He wanted to be the Son. He wanted to be worshipped. He wanted to be like God. He, in fact, probably wanted to be God. Worst case, at least called co-equal and co-eternal. Satan was once an honored angel in heaven. Next to Christ, his countenance, like those of the other angels, was mild and expressive of happiness. His forehead was high and broad, showing great intelligence. His form was perfect, his bearing noble and majestic. But when God said to his son, let us make man in our image, Satan was jealous of Jesus. Let me read that again. But when God said to his son, let us make man in our image, Satan was jealous of Jesus. And God, they, they made two beings. Okay. He wished to be consulted concerning the formation of man, and because he was not, he was filled with envy, jealousy, and hatred. He desired to receive the highest honors in heaven next to God and receive the highest honors. Until this time, all heaven was in order, harmony and perfect subjection to the government of God. This is in Early Writings, page 145. After the earth was created and the beasts upon it, the Father and Son carried out their purpose. 
which was designed before the fall of Satan to make man in their own image. This is in Spiritual Gifts, Volumes 3, page 33.2. Satan in heaven, before his rebellion, was a high and exalted angel, next in honor to God's dear son. His countenance, like those of the other angels, was mildly inexpressive of happiness. His forehead was high and broad, showing a powerful intelligence. His form was perfect, his bearing noble and majestic. A special light beamed in his countenance and shone around him brighter and more beautiful than around the other angels. Yet Jesus, God's dear son, had the preeminence over all the angelic hosts. He was one with the Father before the angels were created. Satan was envious of Christ and gradually assumed command which devolved on Christ alone. This is in the Spirit of Prophecy, Volume 1, page 17.1. The sovereign of the universe was not alone in his work of benefice. He had an associate, a co-worker who could appreciate his purposes, and he could share his joy in giving happiness to created beings. Christ, the Word, the only begotten of God, was one with the Eternal Father, one in nature, in character, in purpose, the only being that could enter into all the counsels and purposes of God. That's Patriarchs and Prophets, page 34.1. The sovereign of the universe had a co-worker. This is singular, one other than himself, not two others, or three, or four, or five. Where is the third being? Uh, only two were at the time of creation. Ephesians 3.9 says, God created all things by Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1, 1-2, God spoke unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Now we see what transpired with Lucifer, now referred to as Satan, the devil, the old serpent. They are ever to be found those who will sympathize with those who are wrong. Satan had sympathizers in heaven and took a large number of his angels with him. God and Christ and heavenly angels were on one side and Satan on the other. Testimonies for the Church, Volume 3, page 328-1. But Satan, working through disobedient elements, was counterworking the work of God. By one desperate act, he determined to cut off every ray of light that was shining amid the moral darkness of the world and thus cut off the communication coming from the throne of God. He determined to defy God the Father, who sent his Son into the world. This is the heir, said the wicked husbandman. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance shall be ours. And they crucified the Lord of life and glory. That was Ellen White, Special Testimonies to Miniatures and Workers, SPTA number 10, page 36.1. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 9 and 17, it says, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Verse 17, And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Tommy? If you think that our church and people have not been under attack in the past and presently, that the evil one has not conquered Christianity and its belief system and completely infiltrated it, then you're sadly mistaken. We as a church are looking out in front of us for what is prophesied about Rome. When in fact the church, through its teachings today, has already been taken by Satan. Amen. 
Heavenly rank status after the fall of Lucifer from heaven. 1. God is a moral governor as well as a father. He is the lawgiver. MS 5, the days of Noah, paragraph 13. The Son of God was next in authority to the great lawgiver. Spirit of Prophecy, volume 2, page 9. 3. It was Gabriel, the angel next in rank to the Son of God, who came with divine message to Daniel. Desire of Ages, page 234. Where is God the Holy Spirit in the above illustration? There isn't even a throne in the Bible for a God the Holy Spirit because it doesn't exist. The name God the Holy Spirit is not found in the Bible or in the spirit of prophecy. Amen. Revelation chapter 7 verses 9 through 10. After this I beheld and lo a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hands and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. Two beings there. Revelation chapter 22, verse 1. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. Two beings there. Revelation 22, verse 3. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. Amen. The counterfeit spirit that does not come from God. We're going to read on. Sister Wright places before us a vision as it was written in the book, Early Writings. When the Father and the Son moved from the holy place into the most holy place in 1844, a small band of believers followed by faith. The rest of the Christian world did not know anything had changed and continued to worship at an empty throne. But there was one who saw the vacancy and appeared to fill the position. Here's the account in Early Writings, page 54 through 56. I saw a throne, and on it sat the Father and the Son. I gazed on Jesus' countenance, and he admired his lovely person. The Father's person I could not behold, for a cloud of glorious light covered him, and I asked Jesus if his Father had a form like himself. He said he had, but I could not behold it. For, said he, if I should once behold the glory of his person, you would cease to exist. Before the throne, I saw the Advent people, the church, and the world. I saw two companies. One bowed down before the throne, deeply interested, while the other stood uninterested and careless. Those who were bowed down before the throne would offer up their prayers and look to Jesus. Then he would look to his Father and appear to be pleading with him. A light would come from the Father to the Son, from the Son to the praying company. Then I saw an exceedingly bright light come from the Father to the Son and from the Son and wave over the people before the throne. But few would receive this great light. Many came out from under it and immediately resisted it. Others were careless and did not cherish the light and moved off from them. Some cherished it and went and bowed down with the little praying company. This company all received the light and rejoiced in it, and their countenance shone with its glory. I saw the Father rise from the throne and in a flaming chariot go into the Holy of Holies within the veil and sit down. Then Jesus rose up from the throne, and the most of those who were bowed down rose with him. I did not see one ray of light pass from Jesus to the careless multitude after he arose, and they were left in perfect darkness. Those who arose when Jesus did kept their eyes fixed on him as he left the throne and led them out a very little way. 
Then he raised his right arm, and I heard his lovely voice say, Wait here. I am going to my father to receive the kingdom. Keep your garments spotless, and in a little while I will return from the wedding and receive you unto myself. Tommy? Then a cloudy chariot with wheels like flaming fire, surrounded by angels, came to where Jesus was. He stepped into the chariot and was borne to the holiest, where the Father sat. There I beheld Jesus, a great high priest, standing before the Father. On the hem of his garment was a bell and a pomegranate. Those who rose up with Jesus would send up their faith to him in the holiest and pray, My Father, give us thy spirit. Then Jesus would breathe upon them the Holy Ghost. In the breath was light, power, and much love, joy, and peace. I turned to look at the company who were still bowed before the throne. They did not know that Jesus had left it. Satan appeared to be by the throne trying to carry on the work of God. I saw them look up to the throne and pray, Father, give us thy spirit. Satan would then breathe upon them an unholy influence. In it there was no light and much power, but no sweet love, joy, and peace. Satan's object was to keep them deceived and to draw back and deceive God's children. Amen, Tommy. Let me stop there, and I want to look at this. It said, In there was light and much power, but no sweet love, joy, and peace. So there was light in it and power, but no sweet love, joy, and peace. Go ahead, Tommy. This account plainly discloses the Father and His Son moving into the Holy of Holies, the most holy place. When the prayer is made requesting thy spirit, the prayer is answered by Jesus breathing on them, a select chosen people, his spirit, which is called the Holy Ghost. The word in the Greek is pneuma, which means spirit. King James writers used the word ghost instead of spirit. So the statement declares what Jesus gave them was the Holy Spirit, which was his life, his breath. This is in John chapter 20, verses 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and he said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Christ gives them the breath of his own spirit, the life of his own life. This is Ellen White, Ministry of Healing, page 159. When the careless company of followers that had not followed the Father and Jesus remained in the holy place, they prayed to an empty throne, Give us thy spirit. Satan, recognizing this opportunity, answered their prayer and gave them his spirit. They received an unholy influence and mistook it for the Holy Spirit, which comes from the Father and Son. Mm. Here is the most remarkable deception. Professing Christians praying in such a way that only Satan can answer them. Being uninterested and careless seems to be the chief characteristics of this unbelieving multitude. They were not connected with the Father and His Son and did not notice when the Father and the Son left the holy place. In today's Seventh-day Adventist churches, we still have many careless professing Christians in all churches. There are a majority in attendance who seem uninterested in showing their ultimate respect and honor to our Heavenly Father by standing when prayer is said. It is made to be so casual that when they have been taught this from the pulpit as an example, every week from pastors on television, online from the internet, and from YouTube, and etc. Light came from the Father to the Son to the people. This sequence was recognized and maintained by the believers by praying to the Son when they pleaded with the Father. It is on this point that Ellen White and the other pioneers clung to the Bible truth of the only true God and His Son. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. 
Today, the church is teaching, the Seventh-day Adventist church is teaching two mediators, Jesus and an unknown identity of the Holy Spirit. An unknown identity, Satan is fulfilling this role in the Trinity or fraudhead, Godhead doctrine. Let's read on. Satan would use the deceived ones who had received his unholy influence to deceive God's children who had not received the real Holy Spirit that was breathed by Christ. What is the deception? That there is a Holy Spirit that is not Christ's Spirit, but a third separate being. This third entity would like to be worthy of worship and destroy the truth that there is one true God the Father. Does the Bible say there is a created being that wants to be worshipped as a deity? Absolutely. Isaiah 14, 12 through 14. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thy heart, I will ascend into heaven, set also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Tommy? Here we see Satan clearly describing his aspiration to be like God. The only way he could ever be worshipped would be to invent a false god and assume that position. In these pages of early writings, we see the process by which he bewitches professed Christians. He invents a false deity and assumes the role. What is this role? Please keep reading. Multitudes worship at the altar of paganism and have no awareness of the tragedy. Millions throughout history have been persecuted and forfeited their lives by seeking to return to the Bible truth. Today, in an age of sophistication and technology, it is viewed as heresy by the truth to suggest that Jesus breathes his own personal life, his spirit, into a Christian. Christ declared that after his ascension, he would send to his church as his crowning gift, the Comforter, who was to take his place. This Comforter is the Holy Spirit, the soul of his life, the efficacy of his church, the light and life of the world. With his spirit, Christ sends a reconciling influence and a power that takes away sin. This is the Review and Herald, May 19, 1904, paragraph 1. The Holy Spirit is the breath of spiritual life in the soul. The impartation of the Spirit is the impartation of the life of Christ. This is Desire of Ages, page 805.3. Christ gives them the breath of his own spirit, the life of his own life. Ministry of Healing, page 159, this is 1905 edition. Those who see Christ in his true character and receive him into the heart have everlasting life. It is through the Spirit that Christ dwells in us, and the Spirit of God received into the heart by faith is the beginning of life eternal. Desire of Ages, page 388. If the reader will go back and carefully review the pages shared from the early writings, the following will become apparent. There are only two spirits mentioned. The source of each is clear. But there are two spirits in the world, the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Satan. Ellen White, Signs of Times, November 24, 1887, paragraph 7. One comes from God, the other comes from Lucifer, Satan. There is no third spirit. There are only two deities, divine beings, in this narrative, God the Father and His Son, Jesus. Before proceeding further, we must attempt to affirm this. There is a Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is an attribute of deity. The Holy Spirit comes to us through Christ. The Holy Spirit originates from the Father. 
The Holy Spirit is one of three powers. The three powers are not three persons. The Father and Son are beings. The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. It is the divine life that is in them both. It is not a separate person from them. Think of this as the personality or characteristics of Christ being in the Spirit. I think that's so simple a child could understand that. Yeah, amen. God is working through Christ to reconcile the world to himself, 2 Corinthians 5, 19. Jesus is the channel or medium through how this is done. God is not using anyone else. It is just the Father and the Son in the plan of salvation. Sister White had explained that Christ had two natures, one of human nature, son of man, and one of a divine nature, son of God. Christ's bodily presence is in heaven and his divine presence is on earth through his spirit or mind or thought or character that the Father will send in the name of Christ, which includes the Father. Cumbered with humanity, Christ could not be every place personally. Therefore, it was altogether for their advantage that he should leave them, go to his Father, and send the Holy Spirit to be his successor on earth. The Holy Spirit is himself, Jesus, divested of the personality of humanity and independent thereof. He, Jesus, would represent himself as present in all places by his Holy Spirit, as omnipresent. That's Ellen White, letter 119, February the 18th, 1895, paragraph 18, manuscript releases, volume 14, page 23.3. There's something to contemplate here. The so-called third person of the Godhead was never vested with humanity. So how could it be divested of humanity? That is impossible, and it makes no sense, as one cannot be divested of something they never had. You can't take a shirt off that hasn't been put on yet. In Desire of Ages, page 669.2, there's additional information that can be found. It says, no one could have any advantage because of his location or his personal contact with Christ. By the Spirit, the Savior could be accessible to all. In this sense, he would be nearer to them than if he had not ascended on high. And you remember the scripture where two or three are gathered in my name, Tommy? I shall be in the midst of them? Amen. Go ahead, Tommy. Let's review what Mrs. White saw in a vision from early writings. There are only two personal beings described sitting on the throne, the Father and the Son. Why is the Holy Spirit also not sitting on the throne if it is a third co-equal personal God? Note also that she does not ask Jesus that the Holy Spirit has a form like himself. Why not? Instead, she saw that there are only two personal divine beings, the Father and his Son. Next, note that when God's people pray, My Father, give us thy spirit. Jesus then breathes upon them the Holy Ghost. It is the Father's Spirit that Jesus breathes. The fact that the Holy Ghost is breathed by Jesus shows that it is not a being like the Father and His Son. Lastly, Satan would then breathe upon them an unholy influence, which is his counterfeit spirit posing as the third person and which created a trinity so that he can think to be part of the Godhead. By Christ, the work upon which the fulfillment of God's purpose rests was accomplished. This was the agreement in the councils of the Godhead. The Father Purpose in His Counsel with His Son. Manuscript Releases 21, page 54.3.
The very last deception of Satan will be to make of none effect the testimony of the Spirit of God. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. Satan will work ingenuously in different ways and through different agencies to unsettle the confidence of God's remnant people in the true testimony. He will bring in a spurious visions to mislead and mingle the false with the true and to disgust people that they will regard everything that bears the name of visions as a specious and fanaticism but honest souls by contrasting false and true will be enabled to distinguish between them when the testimonies which were once believed are doubted and given up satan knows the deceived ones will not stop at this he redoubles his efforts till he launches them into open rebellion which becomes incurable and ends in destruction faith that i live by page 296 it is the great sadness that so many within the church have been programmed to think and believe the identity of the holy spirit is unknown or even to discuss it with fear of committing the unpardonable sin that the holy spirit and comforter is another it is someone else we don't know who it is that the Holy Spirit is an actual third divine being. Ellen White gave writings that are very interesting and a little alarming on this topic. She has tried to bring to our attention that Jesus is our comforter dozens of times. To know exactly that Jesus comes to us in the Spirit because Ephesians 2.8 says, For through him, Jesus, we both, you and I, have access by one Spirit unto the Father. It is Jesus that this verse speaks about. There is one spirit that originates from the Father and is sent through the Son. The whole gospel is about Christ, and Christ is working in submission and obedience to the Father. Why would there be a need for someone else outside the gospel? The reason why the churches are weak and sickly and ready to die is that the enemy has brought influences of discouraging nature to bear upon the trembling souls. He has sought to shut Jesus from their view as the comforter, as one who reproves, who warns, who admonishes them, saying, This is the way, walk ye in it. Review and Herald, August 26, 1890. So, who is removing Jesus from us as the comforter? The enemy, Satan. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 says, Now the Lord is that Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. 1 Corinthians 15, 45 and 47. And so it is written, The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. The first man is of earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. These verses from Paul and Corinthians say that Jesus was made a quickening spirit, and it is Jesus that is this spirit. That would be the Holy Spirit, and that aligns with many, many quotes from Mrs. White from the Spirit of Prophecy. He, Jesus, is coming to us by his Holy Spirit today. Let us recognize him now, then we shall recognize him when he comes in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. That's Review and Herald, April 30th, 1901, paragraph 8. If you don't believe that Jesus comes to us in the Spirit, then how are we to recognize that it is him in the end of times for sure that is coming back for us? Will we fall for a false Christ that is to come? The Lord is soon to come. 
We want that complete and perfect understanding which the Lord alone can give. It's not safe to catch the Spirit from another. We want the Holy Spirit, which is Jesus Christ. If we commune with God, we shall have strength and grace and efficiency. That's E.G. White, letter 66 to W.W. Prescott, April 10th, 1894, paragraph 18. Tommy? Here in this last quote, she is saying, don't catch the Spirit from another. While Jesus ministers in the sanctuary above, he is still by his spirit, the minister of the church on earth. He is withdrawn from the eye of sense, but his parting promise is fulfilled. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. This is Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. While he delegates his power to inferior ministers, his energizing presence is still with his church. This is Desire of Ages, page 166. Yet today in the church... We are taught in John 14, another comforter is someone else, someone that we actually don't know the identity of. It is treated with such mysticism. Jesus' human nature, bodily presence, is in heaven in the sanctuary, while his divine nature, presence, is on earth through his spirit. The Holy Spirit is not Christ in the personality of his humanity, but it is Christ in the personality of his divine spirit. Jesus has a dual nature, divine nature and human nature each retaining its distinct individuality. In the man Christ Jesus, we find the Son of God and the Son of Man. This is the mystery of godliness, the mystery of the incarnation. Christ himself, in his divine personality, desires to dwell in you as the Spirit of Christ. This refers to the omnipresence of the Spirit of Christ. John 14. In John 14, Jesus would leave the disciples and how they knew him in bodily human form. This was his human nature, and he would return to them in spiritual form in his divine nature. They didn't ask who was coming when he told them that he will come to them as another comforter, but they wondered how. So John chapter 14, verse 22, Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Judas is not asking who, but how. He is coming to the disciples and not the world. They knew Christ was coming back to them, but just couldn't figure out how. John 14 gives many clues as to Jesus speaking in third-person language, that he is the comforter. In fact, when he speaks directly in first-person language in this chapter, people are dumbfounded and don't believe. In verse 3, he said that he will come again and receive you unto myself. In verse 6, he says... John 14, 6, he said that he is the way, the truth, the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. No, Jesus is the truth. Verse 13, he said, ask in my name. And in verse 14, he said again, ask anything in my name and I will do it. Jesus is our comforter, the spirit of Christ, the divine nature. Amen. Verse 16 says, I pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Verse 26 says that the comforter is in the name of Christ. John 14, 16 through 17. This refers to the omnipresence of the Spirit of Christ called the Comforter. This was Ellen White, Letter 7, June 11, 1891, to Brother Chapman, Manuscript 14, page 179.3. In verse 17, he says the spirit of truth which the world cannot receive because they don't see him or know him. But the spirit of truth 
they know the disciples because he is currently was dwelling with them and will be in them. Jesus said in verse 6 that he is the truth. What would be the spirit of truth if he is the truth? It would be his spirit, the spirit of Christ referred to here as the spirit of truth. Ellen White said in the Southern Review, October 25th, 1898, paragraph true, Christ was the spirit of truth. Ellen White said, Manuscripts 8, July 27th, 26th, 1891, Second Manuscript 337-1, Jesus comes to you as the spirit of truth. Verse 18, then he confirms this by saying, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Does that say he is sending a friend? Someone else? No, it is Jesus speaking about himself in the first person language. This is something Jesus doesn't do very much. He spoke often in third person language like in verse 16, Tommy. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. John chapter 14, verse 18. The divine spirit that the world's redeemer promised to send is the presence and power of God. He will not leave his people in the world destitute of his grace to be buffeted by the enemy of God and harassed by the oppression of the world, but he will come to them. Ye shall receive power, 39.4, November 23rd, 1891. Verse 20, he states that he is in the Father, they are in him, and Jesus is in them, working in union or unity, one in purpose and character. Verse 21, Jesus says that he will manifest himself unto the believer. That would be a spiritual manifestation coming to that person through the Spirit. Verse 22, Judas asks, how are you going to do this? He didn't ask who. They knew who was going to be coming back to them, but they weren't sure how he was going to do it. That Christ should manifest himself to them and yet be invisible to the world was a mystery to the disciples. They could not understand the words of Christ in their, their spiritual sense. They were thinking of the outward visible manifestation. They could not take in the fact that they could have the presence of Christ with them and yet he be unseen by the world. They did not understand the meaning of the spiritual manifestation. This is Ellen White, The Southern Review, September 13, 1898, paragraph 2, manuscript 44, May 13, 1897, paragraph 3. Verse 23, Jesus says that he and the Father will come and make their abode with the believer. It is through one spirit, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18, that they will dwell with us, John chapter 14, verse 17. Verse 26, the Comforter, a.k.a. the Holy Spirit, that the Father will send in my name. Whose name? Jesus Christ. What is it? A Holy Spirit. So it is the Holy Spirit of Christ, or we could say the Spirit of Christ, not some other unknown third divine being. Verse 28, I am going away, but will come unto you again. Jesus would leave them, go to heaven to be glorified. See John chapter 7, verse 39 and John 17, and return to them in the Spirit. Also, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, Jesus said, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Ellen White, Manuscript 8, page 49. She says, The Savior is our comforter. This I have proved him to be. 1 John 2, 1 through 2. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteousness. Verse 2. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. 
From the illustration on the previous page, which you can't see, is Strong's Concordance in the Greek is 3875 is comforter. In that, an advocate, the, the one and the same word. Comforter and advocate are one and the same word. And in John 2, 1, it says that Jesus Christ is the righteous. He, Jesus, is the comforter. From the spirit of prophecy, it says Christ is to be known by the blessed name of comforter or advocate, whom the Father will send in my name. Ellen White, Manuscript 7, Paragraph 10, January 26, 1902. Great Controversy, Ellen White, page 477. The Father gave his spirit without measure to his Son. We also may partake of its fullness. I, we can't, I've just got to go on, but wow. Uh, Ellen White Testimonies for the Church, Volume 9, 189-1909. And by the way, Ellen White passed away in 1915. They have one God and one Savior and one Spirit. The Spirit of Christ is to bring unity into their ranks. That was Ellen White, Testimonies for the Church, Volume 9, page 189-1909. Tommy? I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. This is John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. This refers to the omnipresence of the Spirit of Christ, called the Comforter. Again, Jesus says, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. John chapter 16, verses 12 and 13. This is Ellen White, Manuscript Releases, 14, page 179.2. This refers to the omnipresence of the Spirit of Christ, called the Comforter. It would be Christ coming back to the disciples through the Spirit of God, also referred to as the Holy Spirit. All these names are for the one and same Spirit. This is an example of third-person language from Jesus quoted here and identified by Sister Ellen White. Let them study the 17th of John and learn how to pray and how to live the prayer of Christ. He is the Comforter. Review and Herald, January 27, 1903. Jesus speaks in the third-person language. Here are some brief examples of Jesus speaking about himself in third-person language. The same technique is recorded in John 14, 16, and 17. He doesn't say I or me, but puts himself as another person in the conversation. This has confused many on this topic, and we hope to show some clarity. Matthew twenty-five thirty-one. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. Mark 14:62 And Jesus said, I am, and you shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Luke 5:24 But that you may know the Son of Man hath power upon the earth to forgive sins. John 3:13 And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. John chapter 3 verse 16 through 18 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. 
John chapter 5, verse 25 through 26. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. Verse 26. For as the Father had life in himself, so he given to the Son to have life in himself. The words spoken of are by Jesus in the above scripture. Is he speaking about a third person when he says the Son of Man or the Son of God? Absolutely not. He is using a grammatical technique called third person language. Even one of the most popular scriptures are using this method when Jesus actually speaks the words of John 3:16 through 18. That conversation begins in John 3.10 with Jesus answered and said unto them. Now we're going to get into the identity of the Holy Spirit is not a mystery. A common response or comment in the church these days is that the Holy Spirit is a mystery. There is a preconceived notion that you are not to talk about it. Don't blaspheme me the Holy Spirit. We can't understand it, they say. There is nothing that keeps people dumb and ignorant more than this approach. Once upon a time, there was a gentleman referred to as Brother Chapman. And this Brother Chapman had a belief that was different than that of what Mrs. White taught and what the pioneers believed. So Chapman began to teach his belief and spread it. What was this belief, you ask? My idea is reference to the Holy Spirit not being the Spirit of God, which is Christ, but the angel Gabriel. As a result of this, Elder Robinson reaches out to Ellen White with this problem. In response to this, Ellen White writes the following to Brother Chapman as a response written in June 11, 1891 from Petoskey, Michigan. Tommy? I have received yours dated June 3rd. In this letter, you speak in these words, Elder Robinson does not wish me to leave, but urges that I enter the canvassing field until such time as the conference can afford to employ me in some other capacity, but states positively that I cannot be sent out to present the truth to others until some points held by me are changed or modified in order that the views regarded by us as a people should be properly set forth. He quotes as a sample, my idea in reference to the Holy Ghost not being the Spirit of God, which is Christ, but the angel Gabriel, and my belief that the 144,000 will be Jews who will acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah. On all fundamental points, I am in perfect harmony with our people, but when I try to show what seems to me to be new light in the truth, those in authority, none of whom have seemingly ever made a personal investigation of this matter, refuse to look into the Bible, but brand me as a fellow with queer ideas of the Bible. And this is 14 uh, manuscript releases, page 175, emphasis added. All right, your ideas of the two subjects you mentioned do not harmonize with the light which God has given me. The nature of the Holy Spirit is a mystery not clearly revealed, and you will never be able to explain it to others because the Lord has not revealed it to you. You may gather together scriptures and put your construction upon them, but the application is not correct. The expositions by which you sustain your position are not sound. You may lead some to accept your explanations, but you do them no good, nor are they, through accepting your views, enabled to do others good. 14 Manuscript Release, page 179.1. It is not essential for you to know 
and be able to define just what the Holy Spirit is. Christ tells us that the Holy Spirit is the Comforter, and the Comforter is the Holy Ghost, and the Spirit of Truth, which the Father will send in my name. I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another Comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But you know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. And this is John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. This refers to the omnipresence of the Spirit of Christ, called the Comforter. Jesus says, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. John chapter 16, verses 12 and 13. 14 manuscript releases, page 179.2. The information which is being illustrated and shown throughout this booklet is not what you will hear from the pulpit today. Why? Because it goes against the change religion that was allowed by theologians long ago when they associated with Sunday keepers. It does not fit their agenda, so you will never hear the real quotes from Ellen White that gives details, and you will never hear quotes from the pioneers who started this denomination. The evil one has fooled everyone without them even knowing it. Points to ponder. How is Lucifer getting praise, worship, and adornment today? By entering the picture as God the Holy Spirit, found in the Trinity doctrine, or fraudhead. It is a name that cannot be found in Scripture. Maybe you have never realized that before, but this name is being confused among the people today with the Trinity doctrine. You see, the Holy Spirit already belongs to God the Father, so it is commonly known as the Spirit of God. It is the Spirit that belongs to God. It is called God the Spirit. It is not a third separate being. Yes, God is a Spirit, but His identity is not under the name or title. Here we find in the Bible the following words and versions vary. And uh, I'm just going to go through a few because we're going to put this up in the screen. We're taking the King James. But the Almighty is mentioned 42 times, the Son of God 47 times, the Spirit of God 26 times. In the Trinitarian mindset, God the Holy Spirit is mentioned zero. God the Father is mentioned 13 times, only begotten six, God's Spirit nine and God the Spirit, zero. That's the Trinitarian mindset. Let's go to the Most High God. is mentioned 11 times. His firstborn, four. Holy Spirit, seven. God the Son, zero times in the Bible. Mighty God is mentioned eight times. Comforter, four. The Spirit, four times. God in three persons, zero times. The highest six times, mediator four times, spirit of Christ two times, the Trinity zero. And I'm going to go down to just triune God is mentioned zero in the Bible, co-equal is mentioned zero, co-eternal is mentioned zero, and consubstantial is mentioned zero times. John chapter 4 verse 24 says, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Ephesians 4.30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed until the day of redemption. Leviticus 11.44. For I am the Lord your God, you shall therefore sanctify yourselves, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. As you can see, the words needed to support a real Trinity doctrine don't exist. Perhaps you never considered this before, 
The Bible tells us not to add to the Bible. But you have to in order to believe and teach and practice a trinity or false godhead or fraudhead. Tommy? While no single scripture or scriptural passage states formally the doctrine of the Trinity, it is assumed as a fact by Bible writers and mentioned several times. Only by faith can we accept the existence of the Trinity. Adventist Review, Volume 158, Number 31, Special Ed, July 30th, 1981, page 4. Our opponents sometimes claim that no belief should be held dogmatically, which is not explicitly stated in Scripture. But the Protestant churches have themselves accepted such dogmas as a trinity for which there is no such precise authority in the Gospels. Graham Greene, Catholic author, Life Magazine, October 30th, 1950. When you use the name God the Holy Spirit, you are naming an additional being that doesn't actually exist from a biblical standpoint. So many people today are adhering to the Trinity doctrine without realizing it detaches your relationship from God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Today's writers of periodicals call the Father-Son relationship a metaphor. God did not send a metaphor to save the world. He sent His only begotten Son, and those are the words of Jesus' testimony. Are we making Him a liar? New theologians imply the words father and son are only symbolic based on an arrangement and not literal christ said the father is greater than i john chapter 14 verse 28 the father was greater than the son in that he was first the son was equal with the father in that he had received all things from the father james white review and herald january 24th 1881 page 2 paragraph 9.3 today this new type of holy spirit is believed to be someone else this is what we are taught by our leaders, a third being who don't actually know who he is. But in reality, Satan is entering the picture to regain his third position that was once his in heaven. We are not saying Satan is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of the Father and the Son. But Satan has devised a counterfeit that is unholy that is being worshipped and referred to as God the Holy Spirit. And this is their version of the third person of the Godhead, when in fact, over and over, Sister White has told us it is the Spirit of Christ. There is more on this further back in this booklet. Take note of this quote. Chances are you never heard of it. These jewels of treasures are never mentioned from the pulpit because it will reveal the false doctrine that is being spoon-fed to the people. The reason why the churches are weak and sickly and ready to die is that the enemy has brought influences of a discouraging nature to bear upon trembling souls. He has sought to shut Jesus from their view as the Comforter. Ellen White, Review and Herald, August 26, 1890. When was the last time you were told by your pastor that Jesus is our Comforter? Probably never. Today, through pagan and counterfeit religions, Satan is actually being worshipped. And through Christianity, he is actually doing it as God the Holy Spirit in the Trinity or fraudhead, false godhead doctrine. Imagine this. Some believe in this, God the Holy Spirit, when they pray to God and ask for the Holy Spirit, they don't know who they are getting as they believe it is someone else other than the Father or the Son. Therefore, this other being actually comes to life as the Father of Christ. 
We know that it's not possible or correct, but under the doctrine, the underlying belief that Lucifer wants to portray is that he is not only the head of Christ, but the father of Christ. The Holy Spirit impregnated Mary. That was the Spirit of God that did that. In other words, God's own Spirit, God himself through his Spirit. But not if you believe in God the Holy Spirit, then you believe that a third deity did it, and now you have two fathers of Christ. Mm. Is your spirit separate from you? Tom, is your spirit separate from you? No. No. What is your spirit? It is your mind, your conscience, your character, your personality, your breath. It what makes up each person's individual identity. In Romans 8.16 it says, The Spirit beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Here's an example of God witnessing to us as we listen. Our spirit is limited to our bodies. But the Spirit of God is not because he is able to be omnipresent. 1 Corinthians 2, 10-11 says, But God hath revealed them to us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what a man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of a man which is in him. Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. In Job 33, 4, it says, The Spirit of God hath made me, and the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. Psalms 51, 11, Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Psalms 139, 7, Where, Whither shall I go from thy Spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? Ezekiel 36, 26, a new heart also will I give you, a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And in Genesis 1-2, And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. The Hebrew word for breath is roach, which is the same word translated for spirit. The Spirit of God is the breath of God in the verse. Tommy? When discussing the jealousy of Lucifer in regards to Christ, this is a serious matter. Although there are not anywhere near a relationship of brothers, have you ever grown up with siblings? What jealousies existed among you? Can you begin to see the jealousy that Lucifer had for Christ? Lucifer saw Christ more on his level. Because of his beauty, he wanted to be above Christ in every way. If you at one time had an exalted position in heaven and was thrown out, wouldn't your jealousy rage? Satan now poses within Christendom as a made-up spirit name not found in the spirit of prophecy or the Bible. He wants to be God, and he wants to be referred to as holy. That way, he is on par with God. Therefore, he poses as God the Holy Spirit within the Trinity doctrine. This doctrine comes from the days of Rome but had its place way before that in other pagan religions. God the Father said in Exodus 20, verse 3, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Psalms 81, verse 9, There shall no strange god be in thee, neither shall thou worship any strange god. Sister White warned, There is no place for gods in the heaven above. God is the only true God. He fills all heaven. Those who now submit to his will shall see his face, and his name will be in their foreheads of all who are pure and holy. Ellen White, 1888, page 1633.2. Okay, what is the name of God? Mystery Babylon? Trinity God? God in three persons? Third person, the Godhead? God the Holy Spirit? 
No, 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 and no. Amen, Tommy. So, is it God in three persons? God the Holy Spirit, third person of the Godhead, Trinity, mystery, confusion, or Yahweh? Do you have the seal of God? The seal of God involves having our Father's name from heaven, Yahweh, on our forehead. In other words, your thought. It's the name of Elohim singularly. Revelation 7, 3 says, Hurt not till we have sealed the servants of our God in, not on, in their foreheads. They were sealed 144,000. Revelation 14, 1 says, Having his Father's name written in their foreheads. 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. Ezekiel 20:12 says, I give them my Sabbath to be a sign between me and them that they might know that I am the Lord that sanctified them. So the Sabbath is a sign of sanctification. Amen? Amen. Amen. And it leads them to God the Father through his Son, Jesus Christ, not a third being. Amen. Ephesians 1 17 that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him and now we're going to get is the Anastasian Creed from which the Trinity doctrine originates let us take a look at what it says okay whosoever shall be saved before all things it is necessary that he hold the Catholic faith which faith accepted every one do keep whole undefiled without doubt and shall perish everlastingly. And the Catholic faith is this, that they worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the person nor dividing the essence, for there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, and another of the Holy Spirit. But the Godhead of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit is all one, the glory equal, the majesty co-eternal. Such as the Father is, such is the Son, and such is the Holy Spirit. They use Holy Ghost, or I like to use Spirit. The Father uncreated, the Son uncreated, and the Holy Ghost uncreated. The Father unlimited, the Son unlimited, and the Holy Spirit unlimited. The Father eternal, the Son eternal, and the Holy Spirit eternal. And yet there are not three eternals, but one eternal. And also there are not three uncreated, nor three infinites, but one uncreated, one infinite. So likewise, the Father is almighty, the Son is almighty, and the Holy Ghost is almighty. And yet they are not three almighties, but one almighty, so that the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. And yet they are not three gods, but one God. So likewise, the Father is Lord, the Son is Lord, the Holy Ghost is Lord, and yet there are not three lords, but one Lord. For like we are compelled by the Christian variety to acknowledge every person by himself to be God and Lord, so we are forbidden by the Catholic religion to say that there are three gods or three lords. The Father is made of one, neither created nor begotten. The Son is of the Father alone, not made nor created, but begotten. The Holy Spirit is of the Father and of the Son, neither made nor created, nor begotten, but proceeding. So there is one Father, not three fathers, one Son, not three sons, one Holy Ghost, not three Holy Ghosts. And in this Trinity, none is before or after another, neither none is greater or less than the other, but the whole three persons are co-eternal and co-equal, so that in all things, as aforesaid, 
The unity in Trinity and the Trinity in unity is to be worshipped. He therefore that will be saved, let us think on those things. So one plus, I don't know, that's enough confusion, Tommy. That's a, that's a mystery. There's a lot. That is a mystery. But anyway, one plus one plus one equals one. Makes perfect sense, doesn't it, Tommy? Well, what's sad, though, is a lot of people are going to hear that and say amen. Yeah, they are. Anyway, amen. So if you have been following along carefully and will now recall the claims and goal of Lucifer, wanting to be like the Most High and wanting to be worshipped, we can see from the Athanasian Creed who the real author of such a doctrine is. This idea teaches us that God is one substance that is made of three persons. The Father is a person, the Son is a person, the Holy Spirit is a person. Each person is not a separate being, yet is not a full person because there is not three gods. Yet each one of them is God on his own. And it claims that it is one God, and again, the God is made up of three persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We are told these three are co-eternal. The Trinity teaches that none of them is before or after another of them. None is greater or less than, than another. They are co-equal, and all three should be worshipped. We are told these three are co-eternal at all times together. The Trinity teaches that these persons, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, always existed together. There was never such a time as one coming out from the other. In true reality of this doctrine, there was no such thing as Jesus being brought forth. No such thing as Christ being begotten of the Father sometime in eternity. If that is the case, then there is no father and son relationship, and it makes the Bible a liar. It would mean that at least these three persons would be brothers, and the father and the son would actually be twins. Wow, Tommy, think about that for a moment. But this is not what the Bible teaches from the scriptures. The Bible teaches us the existence of only one God, and that is the Father. Yes, Jesus is divine. Yes, Jesus has the God nature, the character of God, the name of God that he inherited because of his sonship. But the one God of the Bible is the one source of all things. He is the one source of everyone. He is known as God the Father or the Almighty. This the scriptures do reveal. Now let's compare this idea of the Trinity with the one verse in the Bible. This idea of the Trinity tells us that there is one God, and this one God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Trinity does not say the one God of the Bible is the Father, or the one God of the Bible is Jesus, or the one God of the Bible is the Holy Spirit. No, the Trinity tells us the one God of the Bible is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit together. The three persons make up the one God of the Bible. But if we compare this with what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 8, 6, But to us there is but one God the Father, of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by them. You see, if Paul believed in the Trinity, if God wanted us to believe in the Trinity, the first would have said, But to us there is one God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Mm. But as you can see, this is not what the Bible says. And Jesus never taught that he was part of a one-in-three or three-in-one trinity either, or false fraudhead. His witness and testimony was always about the Father. Here's just one example. Revelation 3.12 says, He that cometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of 
my God in the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. The Trinity tells us about three persons. When the term person is used, it is meant to be more than a personality. Yes, the Holy Spirit is the person of God the Father. Yes, the Holy Spirit is the person of Jesus, but it is their own person. It is themselves. But that is not what is meant in the Trinity teachings. When the Athanasian Creed tells us there is another person, it means that the Holy Spirit is not the Spirit of Jesus or the Spirit of God belonging to the Father. It makes the Holy Spirit into a third and separate entity on its own called God the Holy Spirit. The scriptures prove that there is no God, the Holy Spirit. The term cannot be found anywhere, and neither is the term God the Son. We always read about the Son of God. At least a hundred times the weight of evidence is clearly laid out in scriptures about the Son of God. And we also read about the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Jesus. And in the Old Testament, there was Lucifer who wanted to place his throne above the Most High. He wanted to be worshipped. He wanted to be like the Most High. He wanted to be the third person. Don't you think Satan is working today to deceive Christians as many Christians as possible? He is receiving worship under a title that does not exist in Scripture. Wouldn't this fall under the term deceiving the very elect? He has convinced Christians that there is a third living divine being called God the Holy Spirit, and he's receiving worship. People are in a trance believing this. A big name celebrity like Adventist pastors are teaching this. This concept or idea teaches us that there is a third separate person other than the God the Father and other than Jesus who is called God the Holy Spirit, who is co-equal with the Father and the Son, who is co-eternal with the Father and the Son. Hence, if the Father deserves worship and if Jesus deserves worship, then the third being who is co-equal and co-eternal with them called God the Holy Spirit must deserve worship. That is a contradiction to the Bible. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 3, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. In John 17, 3, And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Where is the third person or being? Nowhere is he found in this all-important instruction. And the Spirit of Prophecy says, Let the brightest example the world has yet seen be your example, rather than the greatest and most learned man of the age, who know not God, nor Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. The Father and the Son alone are to be exalted, that's Ellen White, Youth Instructor, July 7th, 1898, paragraph 2. And hence, through this false doctrine of the Trinity, Satan is receiving worship under the title of God the Holy Spirit. This is called serpent theology. Well, a lot of that, they must teach that at an institute, Tommy. That's an amazing fact. There's a lot of serpent theology going around. This is why it's very important for us to understand and to believe very clearly what the Scripture has to say about the identity of God and about the identity of Jesus. It's very important to know and realize who is worthy of our worship and who is not. Ephesians 1, verse 17, That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. 
Another concept that is out there floating around is called tritheism. In this, we are taught that there are three separate gods. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Tritheism teaches the existence of three separate beings, not three separate persons, but three separate beings. With tritheism, God the Father is a separate being, God the Son is a separate being, and God the Holy Spirit is a separate being. With the Trinity, you are taught that there are three separate persons. When they speak of a person, they mean less than a being, but more than a personality. Regardless of which one you follow, the conclusion is the same. It makes the Holy Spirit a separate being, a separate God other than the Father and the Son. The Adventist pioneers did not teach us or believe in this. It was always the Father and the Son, and it was their spirit. Hence the third being, the third God called God the Holy Spirit is co-equal with the Father and the Son, and hence deserves worship. Therefore, Christians will end up worshiping a third being that is not found in heaven anywhere. Another problem is that it makes Jesus co-eternal with the Father, and the problem with that is his divinity is no longer based on his sonship. He would then not be the true Son of God. He would have not been brought forth or begotten from the Father. And now things are in disorder. This is what the Trinity does. From eternity, there was a complete unity between the Father and the Son. They were two, yet little short of being identical, two in individuality, yet one in spirit and heart and character. This is Ellen White, Youth's Instructor, December 16, 1879. Could you read that again one more time, Tommy? From eternity, there was a complete unity between the Father and the Son. They were two, yet little short of being identical. Little short of being what? Identical. Okay, go ahead. Two in individuality, yet one in spirit and heart and character. The scriptures and spirit of prophecy plainly teach us that there is only one God, God the Father, and that God has a Son, the Son of God, who is Jesus Christ, who died so that we all might be saved. The Eternal Father, the Unchangeable One, gave His only begotten Son, torn from His bosom, Him who was made in the express image of His person, and sent Him down to earth to reveal how greatly He loved mankind. Ellen White, Review and Herald, July 9, 1895, paragraph 13. Theologians and writers of Adventist periodicals today say that a father and son is not literal. It's only a metaphor. This is truly a sad state of thinking a metaphor did not send a metaphor to save us the son is not the natural literal son of the father the term son is used metaphorically when applied to the godhead this is angel manuel rodriguez director of the biblical research institution adventist world magazine november 2015 page 42 so in other words it's just role-playing right yeah so the father just takes on a name and it's truly not his son and that comes from the Institute of the Seventh-day Adventist Word, the Biblical Institute? Yep. Wow. Go ahead, Tommy. Okay, just read John three sixteen through 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. These are the words coming from Christ himself, starting with verse 10. It looks like Angel Rodriguez is making Jesus into a liar. Wow. Oh, what a gift God has made to our world 
The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. God sent His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, libeled to physical infirmities, tempted in all points like as we are. He was the Son of the living God. His personality did not begin with his incarnation in flesh. Uh, did you catch that? His personality did not begin with his incarnation in the flesh. That's Ellen White, letter 77, August 3rd, 1894. From a pioneer Seventh-day Adventist minister and evangelist, it says, Christ is the only literal Son of God, the only begotten of the Father. John chapter 1, verse 14. J.G. Matheson, Review and Herald, October 12, 1869. 2 John 1, 3. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father in truth and love. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be the prince and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. A complete offering has been made for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Not a son by creation, or were the angels, nor a son by adoption, as is of the forgiven sinner, but a son begotten in the express image of the Father's person, and in all the brightness of his majesty and glory, one equal with God in authority, dignity, and divine perfection. In him dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In other words, all the divinity, divine. Godhead means divine. Amen. Doesn't mean trinity. No. Amen. Here we see the Father and the Son, Proverbs chapter 30, verse 4. That was from Ellen White, Signs of the Time, May 30th, 1895. Proverbs 30, verse 4. Who hath ascended up into heaven, or descended... Who hath gathered the winds in his fist? Who hath bound the waters in a garment? Who hath established all the ends of the earth? What is his name, and what is his son's name, if thou canst tell? Here we see the Father and the Son clearly laid out in Scripture. And in the book of Proverbs, it lays out that he was brought forth in the days of eternity, begotten before the earth was created. Proverbs 8, 22-30. In verse 22, the Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way. Before his works of old, verse 23, I was set up from everlasting from the beginning or ever earth was. When there was no depths, I was brought forth. When there was no fountains abounding with water. Before the mountains were settled, before the hills was I brought forth. While as yet he had not made the earth, nor the fields, nor the highest part of the dust of the world, when he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he set a compass upon the face of the depths, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he gave to the sea his decree that the fountain should not pass his commandment, when he appointed the foundations of the earth, then I was by him as one brought up with him, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. Tommy? John chapter 8, verse 42. Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. John seventeen eight. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee. And they have believed that thou didst send me. John sixteen twenty seven, For the Father himself loveth you, because you have loved me, and have believed that I came out from God. 
But the point is that Christ is a begotten son and not a created subject. He has by inheritance a more excellent name than the angels. He is a son over his own house. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 4 and chapter 3 verse 6. And since he is the only begotten son of God, he is the very substance and nature of God and possesses by birth all the attributes of God. For the father was pleased that his son should be the express image of his person, the brightness of his glory, and filled with all the fullness of the Godhead. Finally, we know the divine unity of the Father and the Son from the fact that both have the same Spirit. Paul, after saying that they that are in the flesh cannot please God, continues, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. Where we find that the Holy Spirit is both the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ, Christ is in the bosom of the Father, being by nature of the very substance of God, having life in himself. Let no one therefore who honors Christ at all give him less honor than he gives the Father. For this would be to dishonor the Father by just so much. But let all with the angels in heaven worship the Son, having no fear that they are worshiping and serving the creature instead of the creator. And this is E.G. Wagner, Christ and His Righteousness, pages 19 through 24, 1890. The Father was greater than the Son in that He was first. The Son was equal with the Father in that He had received all things from the Father. And this is James White, Review and Herald, January 4th, 1881, Review and Herald, number 1, volume 57, page 2, paragraph 9.3. Both the Father and the Son possess the same Spirit, the Spirit of God. It is the life of God, the Father, that is given to Jesus and comes to us through Jesus. Hence, it is the life of Jesus in spirit form, Holy Spirit, Romans 8, 11. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwelleth in you, he that raised up Christ Jesus from the dead shall give life also to your mortal bodies through his spirit that dwelleth in you. Who is the him as in the spirits of him in the above scripture? God the Father. And it is this spirit that dwells in true believers. 1 John 4, 12-13 No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4 through 6. There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called into one hope of your calling, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. If you'll know that greetings from Paul, James, and Peter, and John, there's only two beings. I'm just going to go through, not read the scripture, but mention that they only mention two beings. Romans chapter 1 verse 7, Galatians 1 3, Colossians 1 2, 1 Timothy 1, 1 through 2, Titus 1 through 4, 1 Peter 1, 1 through 2, 2 John 1 3, 1 Corinthians 1 3, Ephesians 1 2, 1 Thessalonians 1, 1, 2 Timothy 1, 1 through 2, Philemon 1, 1 through 3, 2 Peter 1, 1 and 2, which is mentioned 
19 times, only two beings. 2 Corinthians 1-2, Philippians 1-1-2, 2 Thessalonians 1-2, Titus 1-1-2, and James 1-1, and 1 John 1-1-3. Do you think they were trying to tell us something here? Yeah. Tommy, amen? Amen. Where is the weight of evidence? Trinitarians have only one verse to combat 19 verses that don't support them, and that's in 2 Corinthians 13-14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit. I don't use ghost, but spirit. The Lord God of heaven is our leader. He is a leader whom we can safely follow, for he never makes a mistake. Let us honor God and his son, Jesus Christ, through whom he communicates with the world. That's Ellen White, SDA Bible Commentary, Volume 1, page 118, 1903. God, the Father and source of all things, Jesus is the channel or medium through which God communicates to his people. When Christ was on earth, it was through the Son of Man, through the human nature of Christ. Now it is through the divine nature of the Son of God, through Jesus the Spirit, that the Father and the Son come and abide in, with us. We need to realize that if God is a trinity, then Jesus is not the literal Son of God the Father. If God is a trinity, then the Holy Spirit is not God's, the Father's Spirit, with which he is everywhere present, but is now a third separate person of the Godhead. If God is a trinity, then Jesus should have called the Holy Spirit his Father, because the Bible clearly teaches that it was the Holy Spirit that overshadowed Mary. And this is in Luke chapter 1, verse 35. If God is a trinity, then Jesus never really died because God cannot die. He is immortal. This is 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 16. And because of it, he has never really paid the price for us and the atonement which was not complete. He had a part of himself that was conscious after his death, founding the doctrine of the immortality of the soul. If God is a trinity, then Jesus was never tempted here on earth because the Bible says God cannot be tempted with evil. This is in James chapter 1, verse 13. If God is a trinity, then we have a comforter, the Holy Spirit, who is a separate being other than Christ, who was never a human being, was never tempted and tried as we are, and never suffered death for us. If God is a trinity, then at the new birth, we will possess the Holy Spirit's life who was never a human being and never conquered sin. This life is not a victorious life, and there is no union of humanity and divinity in it. If God is a trinity, then we could never really study our Bibles for ourselves without a theological education because it is hard to know when God speaks in a literal sense and when in a metaphorical sense. He calls Jesus his son, but in reality he is not. If God is a trinity, then... We have two mediators and two intercessors, Jesus and the Holy Spirit. If God is a trinity, then Jesus is removed from being our comforter, and the third person of the Godhead takes his place, thus causing us to look apart from Jesus in another direction. Sadly, in one way or another, these things have happened and are taught in the church today. If we were to insist that God is made up of three co-eternal persons, how could he entrust us with giving us the three angels' message? Okay, so let's look at this. Worship him that made heaven and earth. With that said, it's important to know a warning and a command from the book of Revelation. It says in Revelation 14, 7, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him. For the hour of his judgment is come and worship him that made heaven, the earth, the sea, and the fountains of waters. Does it say to give glory to them? No, it says give glory to him. 
Does it say the hour of their judgment has come? No, it says his judgment. Doesn't this say to worship them? No, it says to worship him. Amen. Amen. There are all singular identity, no plurality there. Amen. Amen. Referring to the Godhead, and we're going to look at the King James Bible on Ellen White, God the Father, it's mentioned 13 times in the King James. Ellen White mentions it 172 times. The Son of God is mentioned 47 times. Ellen White mentions it 5,102 times. The Spirit of God is mentioned 26 times. It's mentioned 4,949 times by Mrs. White. Holy Spirit, or Holy Ghost, is mentioned 96 times. It's mentioned 11,878 times by Mrs. White. The Spirit of Christ is mentioned three times. It's mentioned 1,249 times, and so on. Now, I want to go, drop down to the bottom there. It's referred to as God the Holy Spirit is mentioned zero times in the King James Bible. It's mentioned zero times in all of Miss White's writings. Called the Holy Spirit a being, it's mentioned zero times in the Bible. It's mentioned zero times in all of Ellen White's writings. Called the Holy Spirit a God, zero times in the King James Bible, zero times by Ellen White. Amen? Amen. Trinitarian phrases in the King James Bible, God the Holy Spirit, zero times by King James, zero times by Ellen White. God the Spirit, zero times. King James Bible, zero times Ellen White. God the Son, zero times in the King James, zero times in Ellen White's Bible. God in three persons, zero times in the King James Bible, zero times in Ellen White's writings. Trinity, zero times in the King James, zero times in Ellen White's writing. Triune God, zero times in the King James Bible, zero times in Ellen White's writings. Co-eternal or co-equal, zero times on both accounts. Consubstantiation, zero times in the King James, zero times by Ellen White. First person, zero times in the King James, zero times by Ellen White. Second person, zero times in the King James Bible, and zero times in Ellen White. Second person, zero times in the King James, zero times by Ellen White. Third person, zero times in the King James, mentioned five times by Ellen White. So where's the weight of evidence, Tommy? Where's the weight of evidence here? It's not there. It's not there. Think about it. This is common sense. Tommy? Theologians have taken five quotes on a small topic and blown them up into monstrosities. This would be that line at the bottom, third person of the Godhead. Jesus spoke in third person language, as we have shown, and Sister White used Christ coming to us in the Spirit as a third person example. She didn't even capitalize third to show deity. But along the way, W.W. Prescott and A.G. Daniels took care of that with future printings. Thank you, Mr. Prescott and Daniels, for leading people into a false trinity. And, and you will be judged for that. So. Amen. If we take the weight of evidence of what Sister White wrote about the topic of the Holy Spirit and its identity, we would gain a greater understanding. We have hundreds, if not thousands, of references but most people in the church today don't have ears to hear, eyes to see, and they don't have a thinking mind to study the matter. It is too easy to take what the pastor says, which is spoon-fed from the general conference, and who is in charge of the general conference. Could it be Satan? So the omnipresence of God, infinite Father, ancient of days, is all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. 
Okay, the Lord, begotten Son of God, Christ Jesus, is all the fullness of the Godhead manifested. And the Holy Spirit, they are one in spirit. So the Holy Spirit is not Christ in the personality of his humanity, but it is Christ in the personality of his divine spirit. Jesus has a dual nature, divine nature and human nature. Each retains its distinct individuality. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. One Lord Jesus Christ, one Spirit, omnipresent. Okay, one true infinite God, divinity, bodily, spirit, personal being, great source of all. Christ Jesus, divinity manifested, Son of God, divine, Son of man, human. Holy Spirit, the omnipresence, personal presence, and power of God in Christ, life, love, light, and glory. They have one God and one Savior and one Spirit. The Spirit of Christ is to bring unity into their ranks. This is Ellen White, Testimonies for the Church, Volume 9, page 189.3, 1909. This is what the pioneers believed and taught. You know, when you hear the president of the General Conference saying, we will stand with our pioneers, while he is a pagan doctrine of the Trinity in his 28 fundamental beliefs, which were changed, by the way. This includes Sister White, as she was most definitely a pioneer. James White said that God called us out of Babylon and that it had come out of the fallen churches. This was referenced to 1844. Why then would we accept Babylon's false doctrine today of the Trinity or fraudhead? By the way, the papacy was always fallen. These are talking about churches that accepted doctrines from the papacy. Amen? Amen. Amen. On there, which includes the Seventh-day Adventists today, but not in the beginning. In the man Christ Jesus, we find the Son of God and the Son of Man. This is the mystery of godliness, the mystery of the incarnation, Christ himself, in his divine personality. Desires to dwell in you as the Spirit of Christ. This refers to the omnipresence of the Spirit of Christ. In Galatians 2.20 it says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I live, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Praise Jesus. Galatians 4.6 And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son, into your mind or hearts, crying, Abba, Father. When God's people take the position that they are the temple of the Holy Spirit, Christ himself abiding within, they will so clearly reveal him in spirit, words, and actions that there will be an unmistakable distinction between them and Satan's followers. Ellen White, Manuscripts 100, 1902.24. It's not safe, Tommy, to catch a spirit from another. It's not safe to catch the Spirit from another. We want the Holy Spirit, which is Jesus Christ. If we commune with God, we shall have strength and grace and efficiency. Ellen White, LT 66, 1894.18. Tommy? Summary of Beliefs. Here's a quick summary of the statements of beliefs over time in the Adventist Church. It was originally labeled as fundamental principles. You would not be removed if you deferred on it. You would still even be baptized. The founders of faith were against setting up a creed and measuring people by it. This began in 1850, but wasn't put on paper until 1872 and remained through 1930 with the same statement of beliefs. That would be for 80 years overall... The last of the original core of the pioneers died in 1924, John Laufenberle. 
1931, one man, Francis McClellan Wilcox, executed what was published in the 1931 yearbook. This would be the beginning of educated academic theologians and scholars having a dramatic effect on our church and bringing in change. Subtle at first and over time. In 1941, a committee of scholars and theologians was set up to formulate a further change in our beliefs. Now the term Godhead is made official, even though the Bible does not detail this information in that language. This is now the God of the theologians and scholars. And then in 1980, under the guidance and influence of Neil Wilson, current President Ted Wilson's father, the Trinity God arrives. This is now the God of the General Conference. God the Father, in 1872, that there is one God, a personal spiritual being, the creator of all things, omnipotent, omniscient, and eternal, infinite in wisdom, holiness, justice, goodness, truth, and mercy, unchangeable, and everywhere present by his representative, the Holy Spirit. 1931, that the Godhead, or Trinity, consists of the eternal Father, a personal spiritual being, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, infinite in wisdom and love, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the eternal Father, through whom all things were created, and through whom the salvation of the redeemed host will be accomplished, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, the great regenerating power in the work of redemption. 1941, the true and living God. The first person of the Godhead is our Heavenly Father, and by His Son, Jesus Christ, created all things. In 1980, God the Father is the creator, source, sustainer, and sovereign of all creation. He is just and holy, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. The qualities and powers exhibited in the Son and the Holy Spirit are also revelations of the Father. Amen. 1872. Remember, we're doing a comparison of doctrinal beliefs here. Remember, either the pioneers are right and the Adventists are wrong today, their own Adventists, or I call it the New Babylonian Adventists are right and the pioneers are wrong. There's no in-between here. And that's one of the statement of beliefs, which he never wanted to make it a statement of belief to join. Uh, the Spirit of Prophecy is the testimony of Jesus Christ, which Jesus is literally the Son of God, not God the Son. Amen? Amen. All right. So in 1872, there is one Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Eternal Father. Just what I said. By whom God created all things, and by whom they do consist. And he took on him the nature of the seed of Abraham for the redemption of our fallen race. And he dwelt among men full of grace and truth, lived our example, died our sacrifice, was raised for our justification, and ascended on high to be the only mediator in the sanctuary in heaven, where with his own blood he makes atonement for our sins, which atonement so far being made on the cross, which was but the offering of the sacrifice, is the very last portion of his work as priest according to the example of the Levitical priesthood, which foreshadowed and prefigured the ministry of our Lord in heaven. In 1931, it says that Jesus Christ is very God, being of the same nature and essence of the eternal Father, while retaining his divine nature, he took upon himself the nature of a human family, lived on earth as a man, exemplified his life as our example, the principles of righteousness, and tested his relationship to God that by many mighty miracles, died for our sins of the cross, was raised from the dead, and ascended to the Father where he lives to make intercession for us. 1941, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead, the eternal Son of God, is the only Savior from sin, and man's salvation is by grace through faith in him. 1980, God the eternal Son, 
became incarnate in Jesus Christ. Through him all things were created. The character of God is revealed. The salvation of humanity is accomplished and the world is judged. Forever truly God, he became truly man, Jesus Christ. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He lived and experienced temptation as a human being, but he perfectly exemplified the righteous love of God. By his miracles, he manifested God's power and was attested as God's promised Messiah. He suffered and died voluntarily on the cross for our sins and in his place was raised from the dead and ascended to the ministry in the heavenly sanctuary on our behalf. He will come again in the glory of the final deliverance of his people and the restoration of all things. The way spiritualizers have disposed or denied the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ is first using the old unscriptural Trinitarian creed that Jesus Christ is the eternal God through have they have not one passage of the Bible to support it, while they have the plain scripture testimony in abundance that says that he is the son of the eternal God. That was James White Daystar, January 24, 1846. Go ahead, Tommy. So the Holy Spirit, in 1872, no separate definition was given away from the Father. The divine spirit that the world's Redeemer promised to send is the presence and power of God. Ellen White, Signs of Times, November 23, 1891. In giving us His Holy Spirit, is God giving us another individual or Himself? In giving us His Spirit, God gives us Himself, making Himself a fountain of divine influences to give health and life to the world. Ellen White, Testimonies for the Church, Volume 7, page 273, 1902. In 1931, no separate listing used under the Father's listing, although detailed now as the third person of the Godhead. 1941, the Holy Spirit... The third person of the Godhead is Christ's representative on earth and leads sinners to repentance and to obedience of all God's requirements. 1980, God the Eternal Spirit was active with the Father and the Son in creation, incarnation, and redemption. He inspired the writers of Scripture. He filled Christ's life with power. He draws and convicts human beings, and those who respond he renews and transforms into the image of God. Sent by the Father and the Son to be always with his children, he extends spiritual gifts to the church, empowers it to bear witness to Christ, and in harmony with the scriptures, leads us into all truth. There is the additional paragraph from 1980, Fundamental Beliefs. It is number two, then follows the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as number three, four, and five. Okay, number two, the Trinity. From the 1980 fundamentals, there is one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a unity of three co-eternal persons. God is immortal, all-powerful, all-knowing, above all, and ever-present. He is infinite and beyond human comprehension, yet known through his self-revelation. He is forever worthy of worship, adoration, and service by the whole creation. Tommy, what does the Roman Catholic Church say? And this comes from a practical Catholic dictionary, page 32, because a lot of uh, Seventh-day Adventists say that their trinity or their Godhead is different than the Catholic Church's Godhead. Amen? Yeah, but when you ask them, they, they, you're, they're silent. Oh, yeah? They, they just say it's different. Well, they'll say, we worship the Godhead, which doesn't have anything to do with the trinity. It only has to do with the divinity. Mm-hmm. I've seen that done by uh, Adventist ministers to take your mind off of the subject matter. But it says, in the Practical Catholic Dictionary, Blessed Trinity, one and the same God in three divine persons, the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. 
there are three distinct persons who are one God. Each of these persons is divine because is one God. They have one and the same divine nature. The Father is God, the first person of the Blessed Trinity. The Son is God and the second person of the Blessed Trinity. The Holy Ghost is God and the third person of the Blessed Trinity. Now, let's see what Miss White says. Keep in mind this is from the Spirit of Prophecy. Today's church doctrine goes against this. In the beginning, the Father and the Son had rested upon the Sabbath after their work of creation. How many people there, Tommy? Two. Two. Ellen White, Desire of Ages, page 769, written in 1898. And the earth was created, and the beast upon it, the Father and the Son carried out their purpose, which was designed before the fall of Satan, to make man appear in their own image. They had brought together in the creation of the earth and every living thing upon it. And now God says to his son, let us make man in our image. Ellen White, 1st SP, volume 1, page 24.2, written in 1870. Tommy, what is taught today is that there are three which were involved in the act of creation. What does Miss White say? Two. Yeah, I just say two. Amen. What does the Bible say? Two. Two. What does the Trinity say? Three. Go ahead, Tom. Now we can see why people are praying and want to worship this third being. It is included in belief number two as a division of God in three persons or parts. Per the church's established doctrine not found in the Bible, this third God now is given credit for creation, redemption, salvation, inspiring the writers of Scripture, fills Christ's life with power, etc., not the Spirit of God, but a new being called God the Holy Spirit. Study Isaiah chapter 14 verses 12 through 14 and Ezekiel chapter 28 verses 12 through 18 and Ellen White's early writings pages 54 through 56 to see who was jealous, wanted to be worshipped, and couldn't enter into the counsels of God. There you will discover the author of such a doctrine. Commenting about Adventists who continually find themselves in a position between two extremes, Unitarianism and Trinitarianism, James White in 1854 wrote, The former makes the only begotten of the Father a mere mortal, finite man. The latter makes him the infinite, omnipotent, all-wise and eternal God, absolutely equal with the everlasting Father. Now I understand the truth to be in the medium between these two extremes. James White, Review and Herald, November 21st, 1854. And we don't know if James White ever correcting that statement, do we? Or Miss White correcting him as the years went on? Okay, notice the word hidden in both of these terms in Unitarianism and Trinitarianism. It is Arian. And today's Trinity theologians will be the first to cast those that don't subscribe into a box called Arian. Those that don't subscribe to the Trinity are called non-Trinitarian. So that means they wouldn't be Arian either because they would be non-Arian. The word Arian was used by Rome as a stigma, and the stigma would apply to anyone who would disagree with her, Rome. It was like a theological slur. This had a real negative tone to it. They look down at you, and when you are a lot bigger and the bully, you can paint whatever picture you want of someone and get most of those around you to believe it. The term Arian comes from the teachings of Arius, who was poisoned to death. The Council of Nicaea in 325 AD had this discussion and debate, asking themselves, how are we going to define our understanding of God, Father, Son, and Spirit? Amen. Uh, under Constantine, a pagan dictator, by the way, 
which the churches today have accepted. The papal party defined God in a way we just defined earlier, and that is Trinitarian or fraudhead. And anyone who disagreed with them or would not subscribe to their definition of that would be referred to as an Arian. Interestingly enough, the three horns that were plucked up in Daniel 7-8 were non-Trinitarian. You know, that's a question when you go to an Amazing Facts seminar to really ask why were the Hurli, the Othgoth, and the Vandals destroyed? They were non-Trinitarian. They were against Rome's teachings of the Trinity. I'm against Rome's teachings of the Trinity. I'm against the Seventh-day Adventist Church, the teachings of the Trinity, because it's just like Rome's. Amen. I know you're going to go through consubstantiation of the wafer, but the wording is just the same as what you have in your 28 fundamental beliefs. They were against the teachings of the Trinity, and the battle continues to this day. And the ten horns had arisen, and we had seen coming up among them, I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them a little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots, Daniel 7, 8. There was only one hindrance to their supremacy and opposition of the Aryan powers to the doctrines of the Catholics, especially to the Trinity. The opposing powers were rooted up in the Hurli in 1493, the Vandals in 534, and the Orthodox in 538. You can see that in Students Gibbons, page 309 to 319, Bible Readings for the Home Circle, page 29, 1890, 1910, and 1920. And what law do we see on the books today, Tommy, if you deny the Trinity, that you'll still be put to death? The Breckenridge Law. So do you think Adventists might be enforcing that Breckenridge Law by uh, promoting the doctrine of the Trinity? Well, I think in that first quote we uh, read at the beginning of the video, uh, Sister White even said that uh, the worst persecution is going to come from within the church. So just like Judas. Yes. Amen. And the Jews. And think they're doing God a favor. Amen. Amen. So the doctrine of the Trinity and Godhead is no different than the doctrine of the Trinity and Godhead of the Catholic Church. Amen. No different than any of the fallen churches or false Protestant churches, Tommy. Amen. 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 In the last days, there will be many religious teachers who will labor to defend popular fables, and masses will follow their teachings. The apostles said that they shall heap to themselves teachers having itchy ears, and they shall turn their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. The Trinity's a fable. James White preached the word, page 2, last days 2. Jesus prayed that his disciples might be one as he was one with his father. This prayer did not contemplate one disciple with 12 heads, but 12 disciples made one an object and effort in the cause of their master. Neither are the Father and the Son parts of a three-in-one God. There are two distinct beings, yet one in design and accomplishment of redemption. James White, Life Incidents. Tommy, is there anything you'd like to add? Uh, yeah, a little bit. We can go, go back and forth a bit. Uh, okay, so once again, here's the book. It's called Don't Catch the Spirit from Another. It goes a lot, through a lot of Adventist history, and I'll be sure to put a PDF in the description below. And if you want to buy one of these, you can go to truthseekers.church. And it, he don't even charge for this. It, it, it just the suggested donation is like two dollars. So, but you can download it on PDF I mean, for yeah, free, and, and I'll put it in the description below. And another thing, uh, at the beginning of this video, we asked the question, are the Adventists safe in the end times? So just because you have the right day doesn't mean you're good to go. The Jews had the right day. They killed the Son of God. 
today you guys are crucifying the Son of God all over again, saying he's a metaphor. The Breckenridge Law, the law you guys are saying, it's coming, it's come, it's already been on the books. It's already there, and the law already says what you have to look out for. Okay, they're going to make exceptions for Sabbath keepers. They're not going to kill you for... For keeping Saturday. No, they're going to kill you if you deny the Trinity. It always has been, hasn't it? Yeah. Lothgoth, Vendelon, Herlock. Keep on going, and there's people... The Waldensians did not keep the Trinity. And even back with Constantine, okay, whenever the Council of Nicaea, they implemented the, the death decree, and it was only on the Trinity. They made exceptions for the Sabbath. It's sad, though, that we have to read this to you like children reading bedtime stories. Open your Bible and quit listening to your pastors. Quit being comfortable and, and, and thinking, oh, well, you know, we have, we have the spirit of prophecy. We, we, we have, you know, all this knowledge and we have all this. And, and it's more than the day. You have the same God as the Antichrist. And by the way, this message is not secluded to hear this message is being said to all kindreds, tongues, and nations. So this is not just a, a God, it's through His Spirit, through His Son, that's sharing this message. So take this PDF and share it with everyone in the Seventh-day Adventist denominations and give it to Doug Batchelor, uh, Walter Bythe. Let them have their discussions on it. And let's get back to worshiping Jesus to the Father through their spirit, not another spirit. Tommy, amen? Amen. And ask Ted Wilson about this. And yeah. ask him why he even admitted that... Uh, that you guys worship the same trinity as the papacy. Yeah, he does say that. Uh, he does say that, uh, you know, because you get, well, it's different. Uh, no, it's not. No, it's not. Now, consubstantiation is turning the wafer into the little body of Jesus. Yes, but the wording of the trinity and, and their belief, if you can understand, if you can understand it the same. And by the way, the word trinity was put in your your uh, statement of beliefs in 1980, Godhead was graduated, and we read some of those. In the 1873 statement of beliefs, it was not there. We've got a serious problem here of deception. And the Bible says, if to deceive the very elect. So, uh, yes, the Sabbath is involved. Yes, Sunday. But Sunday and the Trinity cannot be separated. So if you're keeping the Trinity, you have the right day but the wrong God, it's of no use. Amen. Tommy, uh, that old, wait, Sunday's coming, Tommy. Get ready. Sunday's coming, Tommy. No. I'll rest on Sunday. That's another day to, to go out and witness. Talk about the pagan doctrine of the, tr the Trinity, amen, and the Sabbath, the Sabbath, the creation, but, the yeah. Father, and the Son. But, you know, what's going to be shocking is when the organization goes out and you're telling them that they have the wrong day and they need to come back to the Sabbath, the Creator, which is good. Uh, they're going to say, well, we worship the same God. You have the Trinity. What are you going to say then? And the Sabbath doesn't teach that. The Sabbath does not teach Trinity. You know, and don't think that it was settled. I've heard that. John Bradshaw, God bless you, and I'm mentioning names here. It was not settled in 1930. We're going to do a series on Froome, the Jesuit. You know what a Jesuit is. I know you do. And there are Jesuits everywhere. And we're going to do a series. Uh, hopefully it won't be this long. We read a little bit more, but I learned a lot. But we're going to do it on Froome and Froomeism and where the, how this doctrine crept in the church after the pioneers died. God is calling you back to the Bible and his word in the three angels' message. And, you know, you're, you know, that cannot be given without the spirit of Christ to the Father, without God's spirit through his son. If you're saying a third being, we have a problem there.
you know, a problem there. So anyway, we want you to come when we say these names to repent. Doug Batchelor, take that book of the Trinity, that pagan book, and get rid of it and burn it. And come back to the true, what the pioneers taught out of love, back to the Savior, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to the Father, through their spirit, not another. Amen, Tommy? That's all I have to add. All right, so back in Jesus' time, you had one side where you had people with the right day. Then you had the other side where you had people with the wrong day. You had the Jews and you had the Romans. Okay, but they both killed Jesus. And if you notice, the Romans didn't even want to. It was the Jews yelling, crucify him. So today, are we going to have the same thing in the end times? Are we going to have the Seventh-day Adventists and the papacy? And are you guys going to be yelling, crucify him to people that are preaching what we're preaching? Amen. Remember, they were Sabbath keepers, and we have nothing. The fourth commandment's very explicit, but it's a sign to lead you to the Father through Amen. the Son. There's only one way to the Father, by the way, and it's not through the third being. Amen. It's through the Son. That's all I have to say. God bless. I hope you didn't get bored. I hope you stayed with us in the readings because, man, that was a lot of reading. But give this book to your pastors, hand it out to your congregation so you know the history, and we have more, the history of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Not the history that they want to tell you, but the history that's recorded. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless. And the fundamental beliefs for, for the pioneers, they were the same for 80 years. Why has the, the new beliefs been changed? Yeah. And by the way, Ellen White never changed her belief. Uh, that's another fallacy, too, that they're, they're lying. Remember, the commandment says, Thou shalt not bear false witness. If you break one, you break them all. Now, you can be ignorant of the fact, and, and that's true, but when you're exposed to the truth and you still stay that way, you're a liar. And who is a liar? Satan. That's Satan. He's a liar, a murderer from when? The beginning. The beginning. Amen? Amen. God bless. All right, tune in next time for whatever else you guys want us to do. Take care. God bless. God bless.